we're here we're back welcome everyone out in chat we see you thank you for joining us today yeah it's been a while you guys it's been a while this is the first casa live stream of 2021 no i'm just kidding 2022 <laughs> they all flow together for me you guys i can't keep them straight anymore 2020 has just been a trilogy so anyways happy new year to everybody out there i hope that your uh, your new years have been going well splendid good all the good words uh we'll get the show started we uh we're gonna try to hustle along through the first bit here i guess because we do have some some goody good things to get to later we have a special guest joining us in the later half of the show here so uh we'll start the show out with some hey how are yous Kristen? hey how are you i'm doing good actually um, excited for the new year. Everything, everybody's healthy, and I became a grandma. Congratulations! <laughs> I'm yes. not old enough to be a grandma. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she was born uh, last week, and um, I have yet to see her because they live up in uh, northern Michigan. So we're hoping to, uh, as soon as Mama's ready to do some traveling i we are gonna get him some gas money and tell him to come visit and stay so i can uh meet my first grandbaby <laughs> oh that's that's awesome yeah congrats to you pretty though. cool yeah congrats but other than that not much otherwise same old same old <laughs> same old alex hey how are you cold <laughs> yeah i feel you on that it's warmed up to about two degrees but um yeah, we have an old house and uh, all the windows are leaky and suck. And um, our furnace is this is its last season. So uh, and you always yeah. you always find that out when you finally turn the heat on because you need it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then uh, the rest of my day has been spent spent coming through uh, a little over 2000 bills that showed up in our search results. Uh, and I've Ooh. whittled, I've whittled that down to 2016. Oh, um, okay. So, so not, not, not all of them are vaping bills. A lot of them are just, it's, we get a lot of extra stuff that gets caught in the search. So, right. Um, you're, you're the final filter. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the verge of starting a headache now. So <laughs> I'm oh, glad dear. to take a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, now you get to stare at a bright screen for the next hour and a half. So that'll definitely like I've help. been doing all day. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That, it'll definitely help. <laughs> uh, well, well, good. Good. I'm glad that we're, uh, I'm glad that we're all, I'm sorry about your headache. That's not good, but I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad that we're <laughs> back uh, doing what we do here. So uh, for me, it's just been same old, same old. I'm just dealing with snow and we've got a, a big storm moving in on Monday. So we're just prepping, I guess. That's it. That's been my, my weekend so far has just been grocery shopping, prepping for this storm, you know, all that fun was there, stuff. Was, was there any milk and bread left? Yep, yep. We got milk and bread. Uh, we even got cream cheese. There was this Ooh. big to-do about a cream cheese shortage. Uh, yeah. I heard all the radio stations talking about a cream cheese shortage, and we went to the store. They had plenty of cream cheese. So I don't know. <laughs> of all the uh, things. Yeah. Well, you know, the media uh, lies. I, did just make so. the, I just made some bomb fresh salsa, though. Fresh, fresh salsa. That's what I just got done doing. I can still, I still smell like peppers, peppers and onions. Anyway, you pour that the over the though. top of the, you know, if you do, then you pour that over the top of the block of cream cheese and then you spread it on chips. Yes, absolutely. That, oh, that sounds good. Oh man. We made buffalo, wing dip. <laughs> made buffalo wing dip the other day too. That was what the cream cheese was for. 
Oh, Fantastic. okay. Yeah, so good. But otherwise, uh, that's really it for me. Um, so yeah, Alex, if you are ready, we can get into some hot and spicy legislation, all 2016 bills that you've been looking at. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'm going to get it all in in 20 minutes. All right, let's do it. Let's do it right now. been so long that I almost couldn't find that bumper. I was like, where is this bumper? I haven't done this in I haven't done this in a year. All right, the floor is yours, sir. What do we need to know? What are we keeping our eyes and ears on this week? <laughs> that heavy oh. sigh. Oh my God. <laughs> You're gonna need See, a, that's my need annual January. My annual January sigh. Um, no. so, but I'll, 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 I'll start it off with a little bit of, um, maybe positive news, depending on how you fall on where you fall on, on this, um, starting off in New Hampshire, right next door to me, um, SB 314, uh, would introduce a tax reduction for modified risk tobacco products. Uh, so this means, um, things like Swedish news, uh, uh, well, Swedish match products that have actually gone through the process and, and, and companies that can afford the MRTP process can have this tax reduction applied to their products. It's at the state level. Um, and this would also include things like the 22nd century, very low nicotine cigarette. Um, uh, I believe uh, I, it's hard to kind of figure out this language for me. Um, it, it seems like that type of product might be uh, eligible for a 25% tax reduction while modified risk or, or you know, uh, reduced risk products like Swedish snooze um, would be able to get the 50% discount. Um, CASA is supportive of this language. Uh, you know, for, first of all, we don't support extra taxes on these products, but if those extra taxes exist, uh, low risk products should be entitled to a lower tax rate. Uh, and so we wrote, I wrote a very brief email in support of this bill to the committee uh, there was a hearing on January 12th. Uh, I have not updated uh, the progress of this bill. Usually you don't see like the next committee assignment for a little bit. So uh, keeping tabs on this and whether or not we need to get everybody to uh, voice their support for this or not uh, isn't clear yet. But uh, if that does come to be uh, a necessity, then we'll put something out. Um, otherwise, if you live in New, New Hampshire, strongly encourage you to reach out to lawmakers and support this bill. Uh, that's SB 314. And uh, we'll, we'll follow this and have more details on it later. And we've, we've seen this type of language cropping up. Actually, the, the CFO of um, uh, 22nd Century did uh, some time on CNBC recently uh, promoting the fact that they are going to be pushing for this legislation around the country. Uh, and I'm sure that that's, you know, all told, that's just another tobacco company voice uh, in support of this. Um, so, and of course, we all know that the tobacco companies uh, lobbying power far outstrips anything that the vapor industry or vaping community has come up with. Um, so, um, so yeah, but always good to be able to support something. So <clears throat> that is New Hampshire, uh, Colorado. Uh, this just dropped yesterday. Uh, this is a flavor ban. This is you, HB 1064. Do you have anything uh, that we can pull up visually or? Uh, you, the, I mean, the bill page, sure. Yeah, uh, if you wanted to. I, I didn't I didn't come armed with visual aids. 
Um, so <laughs> I'm putting you on you the know, spot and, right now. <laughs> and, and, you know, to be honest, they're, they're, they're kind of boring. Oh, wait, I got to do the share screen thing here. Uh, everybody knows what a bill looks like. Uh, there you go. go. It's a bunch of text on a page. Um, so uh, this is a flavor ban. Uh, and uh, it would uh, also incorporate um, synthetic nicotine into a ban on flavors. Uh, again, I mean, we said this last year, um, the synthetic nicotine workaround is not likely to last for very long, not at the state level anyway. Um, certainly the FDA is going to have some challenges adopting their regulations, um, but we're gonna see this all over the place in states that haven't already done it. Uh, and so Colorado, um, banning flavors and including synthetic nicotine in that ban. Um, don't have a call to action up for this just yet. It, like I said, it was introduced, uh, as far as I can tell, yesterday. Uh, and so um, we'll see what the progress of this is. Uh, there was an article, I, I, don't, I think, Kristen, you tweeted this from our main account, uh, that this was, uh, or someone, somebody else, I don't know if it was us or someone else, but I read that uh, the, the, the author of the article uh, said that this was in response to Denver, uh, Denver's mayor vetoing the flavor ban there. Um, so obviously a lot of work being done in Colorado to ban flavors and take safer products away from people. Um, so uh, this was kind of expected. Um, but uh, be on the lookout for that in Colorado, and we'll update a call to action as soon as uh, we get more information. Uh, Indiana also has a flavor ban on the books. Uh, I you will have to forgive me if I don't capture all of the bills that might ban flavors or add taxes or place bans or anything like that. I'm still just going through a massive list of things that showed up in search. Um, but uh, HB 1379 is the one that I, I picked up today. I think one of our volunteers dropped it in a chat to us as well. Um, so this is exactly what it is. It's a flavor ban. Uh, and we will, again, update that as uh, you know, committee hearings are scheduled or we get more information uh, from folks on the ground about how uh, this bill is progressing. Washington, <laughs> the state, uh, has HB 1676, which would change the tax rate on vapor products. Uh, it would change it from the bifurcated tax structure that exists now, uh, it, the, the, the taxation now is 27 cents per milliliter on the closed systems and nine cents per milliliter for uh, open bottles. Uh, the proposed tax rate is a 33% retail tax, which I believe would be one of, if not the highest retail taxes in the country. Uh, I think New York's is like 20%. Um, so Washington state going for the title there. Uh, if you are interested, I, Kristen, you have these links. If anybody is interested in watching the public hearing uh, that happened this week, uh, first of all, thank you to everyone who submitted their opposition to this bill. We outnumbered the support by at least 100 people. Um, and uh, the hearing was just ripe with uh, misinformation and lies, as usual, from supporters of the bill. Um, and uh, they, yeah, they came armed with or they were equipped with horrible talking points, dismissing the experiences of millions of people across the country who have actually quit smoking by switching to vaping or other smoke-free alternatives. So thanks for that horrible presentation the other day in Washington State. 
we will update this. We have a call to action up for this, but really it was just encouraging people to sort of register their opposition to the bill. Uh, this was in a finance committee, so they are primarily focused on economic impact of this legislation. Uh, there will likely be, depending on whether or not this moves out of committee, which it, I would assume is likely to happen, um, there will be another hearing in a health-oriented committee. Uh, so look for a, an updated call to action uh, as that progresses. Um, Washington State, again, uh, is also looking at a bill uh, that would uh, direct the Department of Health, I believe, to promulgate a rule limiting the concentration of nicotine in vapor products uh, and other things. I just glanced through this and didn't finish my notes on it before I came on, so I'm sorry if I don't have all the details here. Um, but it would uh, the, the health department would be tasked with coming up with a nicotine cap, and it would ban the use of nicotine salts. Um, we can all probably name at least one manufacturer who's going to have a very big problem with that, uh, and I'm sure there are others out there. Uh, and of course, these nicotine caps, uh, we expect to see more of those around the country as we go forward. That is Senate Bill 5768, sorry. <coughs> and uh, as that progresses, again, we'll probably update uh, or uh, put out our own call to action for that. Moving right along to the wonderful state of Maine, uh, the LD 1550, the flavor ban from 2021 is still in play. Uh, I believe we mentioned that um, this has been referred to the Committee on Health and Human Services. I do not have a date for a hearing or meeting as of yet, but um, we will have to refresh our engagement on that and get out the new information as soon as it becomes available. Um, so Maine flavor ban, still a threat. New Jersey, uh, moving into enacted legislation. This is one that we've been talking about as to what we need to publish about this uh, or um, you know, any opinion that Casa has on this. Um, Assembly Bill 6020, that's 6020. This has been passed. Uh, the governor has not signed it yet, so it is not enacted. Um, and I'm not quite sure what's going to happen here because we, we were trying to figure out if if there is another example of the state, uh, of any state, requiring a retailer to carry any product. Um, I, I, the only things I can think of is perhaps there are situations where, um, you know, in the cases of, of potentially dangerous items, fireworks, uh, you know, boats, uh, whatever that, that retailers may re be required to sell certain like accompanying accompanying safety equipment. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't do boating or fireworks. So I, I can't tell you whether or not a state might require someone to also sell fire extinguishers. Um, but this bill in New Jersey requires retailers, whether they're tobacco dealers or vapor sellers uh, to sell nicotine replacement therapy. Um, I don't know whether or not this is just, you know, lawsuit ready, uh, but it seems like something that should be followed by a lawsuit, uh, and, um, that's in New Jersey. So there we go. Yeah. I know one of the, one of the, few, we, we were having a discussion about, uh, <clears throat> in the case of motorcycles, 
you know, if, if motorcycle retailers uh, like a Harley shop or something like that is required to sell helmets. And I don't, I don't think they are. I don't have an actual answer. I don't think they are. I think they just do, you know, for the sake of selling helmets, it's an upsell. They can, you know, make more money that right. way kind of thing. But I, when you think of it, that, like not every state requires a helmet when you ride a motorcycle. So I think it, I don't know if it varies or whatever, but I mean, I agree. I think that's something that's just ripe and ready for a lawsuit challenge, forcing a retailer to also carry an additional product that they may not have any interest in selling or unknowledgeable of, or, or you know, for a number of reasons. Yeah, to force a retailer to sell a product. I mean, certainly, as 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 you mentioned, as as we've discussed, uh, you know, privately, uh, this I think it, this sets a pretty dangerous precedent. Yeah, uh, and, and it's something for retailers. You know, it, it's it's along the lines of uh, you know very high wholesale taxes, right? You're forcing retailers to purchase or pay a tax on something that there's really no guarantee that they're going to sell. <clears throat> it's it, uh, this in this case requiring retailers to sell NRT, which I believe have their own expiration date, um, it, you know, it's it's sort of a tax in and of itself. Um, yeah, because you're so forcing them to stock, you know, pay for and stock something in their shelves that may not ever sell, and then they have to restock and so on and so forth. And, and you know, it sets a dangerous precedent, I think, that, that you know, the state stepping in and requiring retailers to sell a certain thing. Again, I could be totally wrong. I don't know the, the total history around this particular uh, laws like this, or if there are any other retailers that are required by states to sell certain things. Um, so anyway, I just, I, I bring it up because it's, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to see more of this. Um, New Jersey is not typically a leader in tobacco thinking outside the box, inside the box, uh, tobacco control strategies. So, um, I mean, clearly we like this. <laughs> Well, one of the things I brought up was, you know, if somebody says, oh, well, that's not that it's such a bad idea. Well, could you imagine if companies start lobbying to get on a list of required sales? I mean, look at 22nd century cigarettes, very low nicotine cigarettes. What if they lobbied to make force vape shops to sell those too? Yeah. So anybody and who's again, fine with this, stop and think about that. <laughs> I mean, what's the, what's the sales pitch to a, a convenience store? Like, hey, we've got these very low nicotine cigarettes that really nobody wants you should totally sell them like no. So it may come to that, 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 that yeah. states step in and say, if you're going to sell cigarettes, you have to sell very low nicotine cigarettes too. Yeah. Or and again, I know that we hate the product. term slippery slope, but it, it feels like one of those situations, right? Like if, if yeah. this is kind of the, the catalyst for something where retailers are forced to sell even more or other products on top of that or, or what have you, or what other products make their way into that category of, of you know, need to sell these on the side as well. Yeah, required sales. So I know that we don't prefer the term slippery slope here, but just for for the you know sake of you know, I don't know, getting it out there. I think well, I think it, it is kind a of a slippery thing. slope. I, I do want to. I, I, I I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you guys off because I only oh, okay. have six more minutes, and I'm gonna make this. Yeah. I'm going to make this happen here. Our I got one more in the, the stuff that, that may uh, get a call to action we'll here. Back to it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, so uh, moving on to New Mexico, another new state. 
Um, HB33, again, this is uh, the Modified Risk Tobacco Product Tax Reduction. Um, this was pre-filed. Uh, it is awaiting pre-file. The date on it is January 18th, so it hasn't actually been introduced yet. But uh, this would raise the tax on cigarettes to 20 cents a cigarette, reduce the tax by 50% uh, for cigarettes with MRTP. That's the very low nicotine cigarettes. Uh, and it has uh, very much the same or similar tax reduc reduction language as New Hampshire. So as I said, expect to see more of these bills around the country. Did you say country. 20 cents per cigarette? Correct. So you'd be looking at $4 a pack? That would be the state tax on uh, on cigarettes wow. in, in, New Mexico, in New Mexico. Yeah, that's pretty that's, high. Is that, a, that's a, is that a 20 cent increase or that would be the new tax? Um, it's, it's a raised. So it, it whatever I, I, I did not, I didn't write down in the notes what the current tax is, but, oh, okay. um, right. that, that it may be 10 cents a cigarette. I don't know. Right. Um, but the, yeah, that is a tax hike on cigarettes, which comes with its own issues. Um, uh, certainly people will be trying to dodge that tax and, and get the cigarettes that they like for cheaper. Um, sure. yeah. uh, this bill also adds synthetic nicotine to the definition of tobacco product. Again, expect to see that at the state level all over the place. And, and certainly there are uh, people in the industry who are supportive of, of that language. Um, and so I guess the probability of that becoming law uh, is pretty high uh, in terms of as, as far as regulating synthetic nicotine, like other nicotine, other tobacco products. So I have two more bills left and I have these under the interesting bills section. Um, in I Vermont, just love that you have an interesting bills section. Yeah, well, uh, they're, they're sort of bills I'm not quite sure what to do with, uh, and and we need to kind of work on our own opinions about this. Um, but uh, I'll start with Vermont. Um, H602 would prohibit the sale of tobacco products utilizing single-use filters. Um, we briefly touched on this when we were talking about the new policy in New Zealand. Uh, new Zealand has outlawed the sale of cigarettes with filters. Uh, and part of the rationale for this is that uh, filters make cigarettes more palatable, but they don't actually reduce any harm. There is also the issue of litter, uh, of uh, cigarette butts that do not biodegrade and, in fact, you know, uh, are a source of contamination in the environment for all kinds of things. Um, and if you uh, are really interested, I, I love, um, oh, now I'm drawing, I'm, I have a mental block now. Um, uh, the woman from New York uh, who runs the smokers' rights groups. I, I, why am I? I oh, one of the Audrey, things that she does. Audrey, 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 um, Audrey Silk. Yes, Audrey Silk. Uh, she when she goes to a, a, a park or an area where smoking is prohibited, she always does her own surveillance and recon to see whether or not people are actually following the rules. Um, and you can do that, of course, by looking at cigarette butts everywhere. So. Um, anyway, I, this is an interesting policy, and it, it, it basically makes cigarettes less palatable for people. Um, but this is also sort of in that very heavy-handed kind of regulation that's likely to push people to an underground market uh, and get the cigarettes, the full flavor, full nicotine cigarettes with filters that they are accustomed to. Um, so this is kind of a mixed bag here. I think from my from on a personal note, I, I 
I don't, uh, you know, I always joke about if you want to make cars safer, you take the airbags out and you put a 10 inch metal spike on the steering wheel and people won't go above 25 miles an hour. Uh, right. Because you're terrified of being impaled. <laughs> exactly. And this, I mean, this yeah. gets into like, you know, uh, you know, road design and traffic stuff. If you want to make the roads safer, you have to make them terrifying. Uh, and so uh, this is it's something, this is a very similar kind of thread. Anyway, it's an interesting bill to me, and I'll be curious to see how far it gets in Vermont. I know, I believe there is another, uh, there's a bill in New York that's very similar, um, and I just haven't gotten to it yet in our massive list of legislation, um, but uh, expect to see things like this around the country. Um, certainly New Zealand has already implemented it, uh, and so um, expect some New Zealand fans to maybe try it here. At the very least, it does acknowledge that filtered cigarettes are not any safer for you than an unfiltered cigarette. Right. Um, so uh, the, the very last one, uh, I'm getting this down with one minute to go. Utah HB 34 uh, is looking at cigarette tax amendments that would add heat not burn products to uh, the definition of a cigarette. Uh, for those who have been following the heat not burn progress in the United States, uh, the heat sticks in about a third, one third or two thirds of the states already meet the description of a cigarette and so are already subject to cigarette taxes. Um, and so Utah is changing their code to allow for taxation of heat not burn products, just like cigarettes, heat not burn products, which, by the way, have received an MRTP order from the FDA. Um, so, uh, stuff like this goes hand in hand with the tax reduction for modified risk products. Um, and, uh, just keeping an eye on that, uh, not quite sure whether or not CASA engages on this. Um, it sounds like something we would get involved in, uh, because raising taxes on lower risk products is not something that we support. So all of that having been said, uh, that is the legislative rundown as much as I've got so far, and I'm sure I'll have more next weekend. Uh, there you have it. Ta-da. You don't have to have more next weekend. We're, we're fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Do we, do we really need more? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> There's always oh, more though, guys. right? Like, I feel like this is one of those spaces where we kind of never run out of things to keep an eye on. Yeah. Well, well, it's a good thing. We're on a state and local level. It's a good thing we don't have a uh, research segment because I could be like updating you and all the poo-poo research that comes out every week. That's a never anything. I know how Alex feels because every it seems like every day there's another stupid research study that comes out against vaping that it's just cross-sectional, you know, and ask all the wrong questions or, you know, erectile dysfunction and secondhand vapor and strokes and heart attacks and yeah. depression. One, one, one thing that I am just now remembering that I kind of forgot to mention here because I didn't write it down uh, was all of the bills in Michigan that we were following. I haven't gotten through all of the Michigan stuff that shows up on our scan. And I'll just show you what that looks like. Here you go. Uh, this is, it, and it's not all tobacco, but these are all the bills in Michigan I need to weed through here. Um, but I have not come to the new versions of, uh, these might be it right here, what we were following last year. Yeah, these are from 2021. So um, this we are in a two-year 
legislative session. Uh, that's typically what happens. So a lot of the bills that we saw in the tie barred package of tobacco control bills that we saw last year are likely to come back. I know Mark Sliss popped his head in here earlier, um, so he may have some uh, insights to add to that. Um, and like I said, I'm still weeding through all of this stuff to figure out what's active and what we need to engage on immediately. Um, but uh, Michigan, again, uh, could be looking at that package of, of to, to tobacco control bills. Though I, thanks for that little tidbit. Uh, heat not burn sticks are taxed as pipe tobacco, which has a lower tax rate compared to normal cigarettes in Germany. So there's some uh, some tax reduction happening there, uh, at least in, in heat not burn compared to combustible cigarettes in Germany. Um, I don't believe our guest is here yet. I don't see our guest kind of in the back room with us just yet. So uh, I guess that concludes the legislative rundown. We are not quite ready for our deep dive. We're still waiting on our guests, but I have something that I, I think that we could maybe fill a little time with and have a quick discussion on that I think is just absolutely absurd. So I'm just going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to do a little screen share here. Have you ever considered oh. bird watching when trying to quit smoking? <laughs> This is uh this is this is CDC's uh, recommendation. Uh, bird watching is a great way to de-stress and keep your mind off nicotine cravings. On National Bird Day, which was January fifth, watch some birds and help your smoke-free life soar. What do you guys think of bird watching, Alex? Do you when you were trying to quit smoking, we're like, you know what? I'm gonna go check out some birds. I'm curious if they'll have a similar post for Flag Day. Ooh. Like, have you considered watching the flag? Yeah. Have you smoking? considered going outside? <laughs> <laughs> like, it just, it's it's so tone deaf, right? Like, it, I, you see this when, whenever there's some kind of national holiday or something like this, some way that they can work these ideas together to post about this national thing. And it just, it's just tone deaf. It, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't, if this resonates with you, if, if bird watching is what helps you stay smoke free, bird watch, watch all the birds, watch every bird you can watch, right? Like, if I that's think that goal. advice, I think that advice is for the birds. And on that note, our <laughs> guest is here. Our guest are, is here. Oh, our guest is here. Okay. Awesome. Fantastic. I can get out of here. I just wanted to fill some time <laughs> with that. I thought it, I thought it was a, a fun little tidbit of information from the CDC. So if you guys are ready, we are definitely ready for you do our bumper? some deep dive action. Absolutely. Helen. Hey. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Uh, everyone, this is Helen Redmond. She's our special guest today. Helen, how are you? Good. Can you hear me? We can. Yep. We can hear you. Okay, we good. can see. We can see you. We can see you. I just can't <laughs> work apparently. But uh, welcome. Thanks for joining Thank us. You. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Okay. All right. So we've got some fun stuff to discuss today on the okay. topics of harm reduction, and uh, I guess. Before we really get into anything, if you could just kind of tell everybody here who you are, what you do, how you got into all of this, this, this realm, this world of harm reduction, specifically tobacco harm reduction as well, some background. 
I just I just want to say first, I, I did hear the end of that conversation about the CDC and the birds. And I, I think bird watching is for the birds. I'm with I'm with Kristen on that one. Give me a break. Um, you saw Annie Claycamp's piece in Filter. Yes. Mm -hmm. okay. I did. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. I thought it was really uh, on point. Yeah. So I'll I, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm just saying I'm going to real quick find the link to that to share in the chat, but you go on. Please okay. Tell them cool. who you are and stuff. <laughs> well, I wear a couple different hats. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I've worked with people who use drugs for many, many years. And uh, I'm also a writer I've been writing about the war on drugs for two decades. So I come to tobacco harm reduction as a veteran of the war on drugs uh, in the United States. And I've written about various aspects from what happens in our country to Mexico, to Afghanistan. I, I've been to that country and reported on, on uh, methadone and, and heroin use. And then I'm also a documentary filmmaker. And one of the things I make a fair amount of short docs about is about nicotine, about people who use nicotine, who smoke, vulnerable populations. So those are the three hats that I wear. And I started writing, I thought about it the other day, I started really getting into tobacco harm reduction around 2015. So for about six years now, I've really had a concentration on tobacco harm reduction. So that's just a little bit about me. Yeah, um, I do remember speaking to you in the past. I've, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, I used to have a podcast before, long before I joined CASA and we started this live program here. Uh, it was called the Rise and Vape Podcast and I had the opportunity to have Helen on back then and we got to discuss some of these things. Um, and, and for anybody curious, where can they find your short documentaries, those short films that you do? Because they are fantastic. They're uh, on the filter website. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I know that we, we had brought that up back then and I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited to sit here and talk to you again today because it's been so long since we've had the opportunity mm -hmm. to really speak on this stuff. Um, but yeah, for anybody out there, check those, check those short films out because they are, they are excellent. They are excellent. So um, one of the things that um, I guess I wanted to ask you is what what do you think is one of the biggest hurdles right now in tobacco harm reduction in general, uh, given that we're we're in the thralls of, you know, this drug, this progressive drug legalization movement. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're seeing this this shift towards legalization uh, and, and, you know, medicalization of psychedelics and cannabis and other drugs, you know, illicit drugs. But yet we're seeing this real big surge and this this kind of newer war on nicotine, specifically as opposed to the older just war on smoking. That that war has kind of shifted. Um, what do you what do you see in general as like what are the big hurdles for us? Where are we coming up short? Why are we seeing this divergence and 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 all of that happening? You know, I don't think that much has changed in terms of what we're up against. I think it's pretty much the same stuff. And that is lots of junk science, uh, misinformation, a, a, a corporate mainstream media that is allergic 
to interviewing anybody. Uh, um, there's been a, a few breakthroughs, but in general, does not interview people who are pro-vaping or do science around vaping and nicotine use. There's almost a total absence of that. Um, there's a new piece out in the New York Times, I'm sure you saw it, that's saying uh, young people are going back to smoking and it's cool again. And in that piece, I think it was Ken Warner that they gave him one, one sentence, yeah, so Ken Warner or somebody else who is pro-vaping. And so we're up against that. And it's the same, same stuff that from the beginning when vaping really took off, it's the same people who are opposed to it. I don't want to be all doom and gloom because the genie is out of the bottle. It's never going back in. It's not. Vaping is here to stay. And drug wars, I would, we haven't ended it 100%, but in, you mentioned cannabis and psychedelics. And it's really interesting because every, not everything, but a lot of what they say about nicotine use and vaping is what they used to say about cannabis and psychedelics. Uh, they're dangerous. Uh, cannabis and, and the psychedelics can cause mental illness, schizophrenia. They're gateways, right? And oh, yeah. we, right? And, and I've been part of uh, a group of harm reductionists now for a long time, and we've been fighting to legalize cannabis, fighting uh, to legalize psychedelics. And it's enormously satisfying. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a bright light in kind of a dark sky that we have in many states legalized cannabis and, and now psychedelics, psilocybin, uh, the other, you know, LSD, uh, ketamine, MDMA, it's enormously satisfying that our struggle paid off. Obviously, the thing about nicotine that's different has never been illegal. Right, right. So we don't have to have waged that fight. Um, but it means that people change their minds about things. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Sure. Well, the sure. enemies and the issues are still the same as they were five years ago, right? They might be worse. I don't know. What do y'all think? Do you, do you think I, one of I, I have a question <laughs> and I think Janine Timmons used the word I was going to use, which is script. Um, you know, I, we've seen a lot of movement in, I, I think, the, the, the public health realm and, and in the policy world and in corporate America uh, to acknowledge people, to have this diversity, inclusion. I forget what the E stands for, the DEI. Um, uh, and um, what is it? Equity, equity, equity yeah, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, you know, there is this 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 movement. Um, and when it comes to uh, drug policy, it seems that more and more people are coming around to acknowledging that there are people who use drugs and that we're not just a bunch of addicts and drug users and all mm -hmm. of the stigmatized language that you, you would see. But that attitude is not moving over to tobacco. For some reason, tobacco is is mm -hmm. siloed off. And so my question is, is more of in your experience and in, in working in this field, is that is that a, is that an institutional thing or is it just people bringing their personal bias into their careers? I think that tobacco and alcohol, a little less with alcohol, they've never been integrated into the, the harm reduction family. Harm reduction 
all around the world actually has mainly focused on illegal drugs because that's where the drug war is aimed at, right? That's mass incarceration, undoing all of that. It's so the illegal, the illegal drugs are the ones that all of these organizations have, have focused on. And, and I understand that because tobacco is legal, it, we don't have, you know, I don't know, half a million people in prison because it, it's legal. So I think that's that's part of it. It's never been integrated into the larger world of drugs. And and could it have really been, though, until vaping was invented? Because what is it that we could, you know, with with opioids, we have maintenance medications. We have buprenorphine. We have methadone. You maintain people on them for as long as they want to. And we can do that now with these safer nicotine products. So I don't know if it could have, maybe it could have, but there's no reason it can't be now. But then the other one, it's always the, what do you call it? The, the thing in the room and that's big tobacco. It's tobacco. industry. That's exactly what I was going to, I was going to ask you is if you think a big part of this is the uh, you know the the need to bring down big tobacco. When we talk about nicotine, nicotine for so long has just been completely really tied to cigarettes in most people's mm-hmm. minds. Um, right. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. I think there was a study done at one point. Something like 80% of doctors still believe that nicotine causes some form of harm, whether it be cancer or heart problems or lung disease or something along those lines. Um, which obviously, yeah, which is false, but. I think because, you know, nicotine has been tied to tobacco for so long and then big tobacco is evil, Mm -hmm. that that's that's just a big player in the room. And we just don't simply want to acknowledge that nicotine is not the harmful component and that, you know, cigarettes aren't the only place you can get nicotine. I feel like we forget about NRTs a lot of times in that conversation and and, you know, safer nicotine products in Mm -hmm. general. Would you agree with that? Do you think that that bias against big tobacco and that that kind of looming shadow, that dark cloud of big tobacco kind of clouds the judgment here? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. It's always there. And we just have to patiently explain to people how vaping came to the United States, that it was people who smoked, who created the industry and and then other there's other players certainly but um tobacco companies weren't able to innovate in the way that others were um that so that's for for real and then we also live in a country that really still uh wants people to be abstinent abstinence based drug policies whatever it is you've got to stop mm-hmm. And millions of people love nicotine. Billions of people love nicotine. They're not going to stop. And so we, we have official policies that, that privilege abstinence over reducing harm. And they only want to reduce harm, but then you've got to move down the spectrum to then you be abstinent. And right. we know uh, billions of people will never be absent from nicotine, nor do they need to. Then the other component, and I know you all know this, but I'll just say it, is that we have an entrenched group of organizations who are really engaged in a forever war. They want to fight forever to try to 
I don't know, shut down tobacco companies, put, put them out of business. It's, it's a forever war for them. And that's a big problem because really these uh, organizations could be put out of business if we could get safer nicotine products to every smoker who wanted them, they should want to be put out of business, right? That's what they say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it often feels like, um, I guess for lack of a better term, like like self-fulfilling prophecy a lot of times, you know, and that's kind of how mm -hmm. they, they keep getting by. Um, because without, without, you know, without, uh, you know, lobbying against safer nicotine products, then you have more people smoking, then you can continue to fight mm -hmm. smoking, you know, so the more you set yourself up to, like you said, for that forever war. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's where that funding is going to continue. Mm -hmm. I know that Kristen definitely has, um, has some questions for you. I know we have sure. some things for the show. And I'm, I'm excited to, to hear this, <laughs> hear this conversation. Don't put me on the spot. Um, you know, one of the I'm things good that, at that. It's one of my favorites. I do it to Alex all the time, so I'm going to do it to you um, too. Well, something popped in my head as we were talking that I hadn't occurred to me sooner. But with you having been in in other drug harm reduction, um, and you came over to tobacco harm reduction, so you were probably around a lot of people who are in drug harm reduction, and it seems like we're struggling getting them to come over. What do you think was it that? made you went, yeah, that all makes sense. This is, this is harm reduction, harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Whereas other people just don't seem to be like ready to jump on board with tobacco harm reduction. They still see that as being something that's, I don't know. It's funny because they almost get um, anti-brain and they suddenly are like, oh no, they should just quit. Or they should, you know, like, which mm -hmm. they've been saying for people who are addicted to other drugs, well, you can't just do that. But yet when it comes to smoking or nicotine, it seems like they kind of turn into these <laughs> anti-tobacco people. So what made you able to make that leap? And what do you think is holding back other people and you're in that line of work from making that same leap? Well, it, it happened because I worked with a, a woman at a social service, uh, actually a harm, harm reduction based housing program in Brooklyn. And my coworker who is German had been recently to Germany to see family was a smoker as was her partner and they found vaping products there and she brought it back and we started talking about the people that we were working with in this harm reduction based housing program and so many of them had either started moderating their drug use or uh, dramatically cut back or stopped using and the only thing left was cigarettes and so we started thinking about that and she had vaped and she was vaping and loving it. And we thought we have a tool now to help people transition because people from vulnerable populations, not everyone, but a lot have it, the journey to transition is a lot longer. They have a lot of life challenges. Imagine being homeless and having a significant mental health problem and trying to transition. It's just not the same as somebody who has a nice warm home and support from family all around them. We know that uh, the more uh, support you have, typically it's easier. And so we were in the setting, we said, we've got to try. We have this great product now, even though it wasn't so great back then, they've gotten so much better. <laughs> 
and I think it's probably easier for people to transition out because you can get sufficient nicotine, you get a bigger throat hit if that's what you need. Uh, they're easier to use. You're not dripping juice everywhere, right? Um, so it was really a colleague who showed me a vape and said, let's try. And, and that's where it started for me. I do want to say, I a, a, another bright spot, I do feel like the international harm reduction community is coming to this conclusion that we need to integrate tobacco harm reduction. I, the people that I talk to all around the world, they are really, really interested in it because precisely what I said, many people leave their initial drug of choice, but the nicotine always seems to be the last one. And people say, just don't take it away from me. I want to do this. It's legal. I'm not going to go thing. to Rikers for smoking a cigarette. And uh, right. it's kind of, in a way, the last one. But I believe, uh, you know, prior to COVID and the international conferences, they very much welcomed sessions on tobacco harm reduction. And all the questions can come up, like, who's funding this? Is PMI behind it? What about Juul? What about all of those questions come up? Happy to have those debates and discussions. It, it's good to have that. But I think more and more around the world, people are realizing we have to get these products into the hands of people who use other drugs. Because, I mean, that's the other thing. And I know you all know that. But if you use illicit drugs, the rates of smoking, I mean, the two go together, really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's something I know that we've discussed here a lot on the show um, within, you know, the drug using community. And, and like you mentioned, within uh, the houseless community, uh, smoking rates are, are higher. And th those are definitely challenges that can be met. We've you know, we've talked about pros and cons of things like disposables, right. uh, which can be a great thing in those communities as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that rings true. Uh, I don't know. I believe it rings true for Alex as well. Uh, definitely with me. Um, you know, I had a problematic relationship with methamphetamine uh, at one point in my life. And when I was getting off of meth, it was like, don't touch my cigarettes. You know, that was like the one thing. Let me smoke. Let me have this while everybody is like, oh, Logan, that's great. You quit meth. Now quit smoking. You know, and there's that additional added weight of now you need to now you need to do this. Now you need to do this. Now quit that thing. But I was very much in that that camp of like, just let me smoke, you know. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, there's, there's definitely that, um, I would love to find a way where we can really, um, you know, take hold of those opportunities when we have people who are, um, working on recovery, going through these different paths, uh, in their life to also integrate that tobacco harm reduction in mm -hmm. there and educate people there as well. Um, and I just don't know, I don't work in those fields, particularly, um, do you see opportunities in your line of work where, those 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 things can be integrated in better or 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 how we can approach yeah. that situation and trying to work tobacco harm reduction more into those scenarios where people are are seeking help for other substance use if they're smoking or is that something that maybe feels too much like that situation where it was like okay great now you've quit doing this thing now we want you to also quit this does it feel coercive is there a way is there a, a way to do that without being coercive? The, the way I look at it is, you know, I, I've worked at New York Harm Reduction Educators in East Harlem 
and I've done vaping tobacco harm reduction groups and I'm, I'm about to start one next month. And so one of the ways that we do this work is where there are agencies like New York Harm Reduction Educators, Lower East Side Harm Reduction, where there are syringe exchanges, wherever there are certain, there's drop-in centers. Obviously, COVID-19 has changed how we can deliver some of those services. Doesn't mean we can't deliver them. Those are the places. Wherever people who use drugs go for services, that's where you have the vapes. Like I, I, I like to say it's you hand you hand the person a sterile syringe and a vape. Sure. The yeah. North Carolina uh, Survivors Union in Greensboro is doing a project. Uh, they have sterile syringe exchange. They have a drop in program and they're doing a, a, stu a study and a focus group uh, so that they can help people transition so wherever you're providing, there's mobile vans, right, that go into neighborhoods to do needle to do um, needle distribution. Have the vapes on the van. Right. Go to wherever they are. Go to homeless shelters. There's a study, perhaps you know, uh, Sharon Cox and her colleagues in London. Uh, they're doing a study for people who are unhoused. How do we help them? transition are they interested in these products if they get them can they bring them into the shelter can they are they losing them or what works and so that that's really important too so just going you know meeting people where they're at and then let's do some studies because there's going to be real challenges right again it's not it's not like people who have a lot going for them and they just need to make a transition. I have a number of friends who it was fairly easy, but I know from doing these tobacco harm reduction vaping groups, there's many more challenges that have to be overcome. Not impossible, just harder and maybe longer. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, I guess just from personal experience, sometimes like I, I was in no shape to you know, tackle quitting smoking at that point in my life. It was about, you know, do I have a house? Do I have food? Do I have my basic needs met? Mm -hmm. All these other things. And like, if I could scrounge some bucks up for some cigarettes at the time, I was going to do that. You know, whatever that that pleasure, those those little things mm -hmm. that you can seek to make those hard times easier. And then when you 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 know you add on you know, should I quit smoking? Can I quit smoking? All of that stuff on top of it. Do you think that it feels overwhelming for some people? Because that was something that I felt at the time. You know, people at one point, uh, I didn't have a house uh, and I was quitting drugs, mm -hmm. certain drugs and uh, mm -hmm. and people telling me now you need to quit smoking. I was like, you know, th that's too much right now. Like, I'll worry about that later. And that's where I mean, like, does it feel coercive to try to work that in? Or should we take that opportunity at the same time, you know? No, I don't I don't think it's coercive because I think I think it is true that most people, especially when they get to a certain age, and again, I don't have to tell you all this, um, the the smoking catches up with you, right? The longer you do it. And so the the people that I work with are adults and they're in their 40s, 50s, even even older. And they have other health issues and they want to do something about their smoking. 
and they're really, really open <coughs> this to, to, to vaping. And if they can't make the switch, it's just because we haven't found the right way yet. That's my opinion. You know, they haven't found, um, again, finding the right product, the right amount of nicotine. Uh, the other thing that, that I will say, I, I think that makes it hard right now, not even for vulnerable populations, but going back, referencing that article in the New York Times, is really one of our main goals is to create a culture of vaping, to supplant the culture of smoking. And so if you are outside of a methadone clinic or a, uh, a shelter or many organizations that work with people who use drugs, have stopped using, there is a culture of smoking there in, in front of them. And then the communities they live in, it's normalized, right? Mm -hmm. And so that article in New York Times, when they're outside the bar smoking or outside the dining huts, all having a cigarette together, I'm just saying, it's like, we want to create, we want that to be a culture of vaping. Everybody's going outside to vape or actually I'm for people vaping inside because we know it's secondhand mm. vape, is, but still if whatever you want to be uh, courteous to people, we need to create a culture of vaping and, and it's social and people can join it. And so we don't really have that yet, right? Can I bum a cartridge? Yeah, that's not a thing. Can I bum some, you got you got some strawberry liquid, man? Come on, give me some. I've shared liquid. I have to say, I've given people liquid. <laughs> cool. Yeah, cool. Oh, sure. They always want to give, they want to take a hit off your vape. I'm like, no, not in this day and age. But the thing that hit me right. about that article, I think, was that the the backlash against vaping especially with young people and i think it's ironic that you're getting from the cdc and fda and campaign for tobacco for your kids and stuff all these early 20 somethings were all kids who were growing up in the middle of this epidemic of vaping who are rejecting vaping to smoke um and saying vaping's not cool and if you vape you're a douche just smoke you know uh i mean i think it's somebody in that article literally said that i mean he said yes. just smoke you know you look like a dork or whatever and and that a lot of that's been caused by the authorities who are trying to get these kids to stop vaping three four five years ago and now they're like okay well we believe you vaping's dangerous and it's not cool and i would have gotten brain worms so i'm smoking instead <laughs> You know, I mean, look at what that mm -hmm. accomplished. And, it's, and and we did have sort of a vape culture forming. You know, we, we mm -hmm. had vape, uh, vape meets and, you know, shows and you had people hanging out in vape shops. You know, they yes. always, I always joke that vape shops were like, you know, some dude's basement, you know, because he had the leather couch and the music and stuff. But it still had some kind of culture that was forming there. And the, mm -hmm. the government chipping away at that they you know they're they're banning stuff so that and taxing stuff so much that these shops are closing down spikes shop closed down i saw you tweeted about that you know mm -hmm. i mean that that has been around for i don't know how long it's it, it's crazy so how do we turn around now and say okay now we need to form this vape culture now that we're being called douchebags and and you know that it's ridiculous and it's so uncool now and in, in vaping is only for quitting smoking. It's not, that's another thing that happens is that you're not allowed to use it unless you're trying to quit smoking. So if you haven't started smoking yet, but you want to start smoking, start smoking, then you can vape. 
to quit. (laughs) The the idea that, you know, uh, (laughs) using a safer product has to come with a prerequisite of first, you know, harming yourself, I think is absurd. Right. Um, But I think I thought of something before when we were talking about this. um, And now I can't remember what it was, but I I think, but I, I think part of that is that, oh, I know what it was because we were talking about how, um, people the, who had other drug addictions or problems with drugs um, wouldn't give up the smoking. And it's funny how that got flipped on its head. And they used that to say, look, smoking's harder to quit than heroin. You know, mm-hmm. and then they're, mm-hmm. and that's where they got that from was, was that, well, people can kick heroin, but they can't quit, 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 quit smoking, you know? Yes. And so then they use it to, to lie about how bad smoking is not even looking at what's going on in these people's lives. And they do the same thing right now with the vaping they're doing, they're lumping in vaping with smoking for indigenous people, LGBTQ, um, uh, minorities, black people. They're, they're mm-hmm. using that, that those, those, uh, mental health, people with mental health problems um, or challenges. And they say, okay, well, these people all smoke more than other people. So we need to make sure they don't vape. I mean, what, mm-hmm. how do we change that message? <laughs> you know, because it's similar with the drug issue because with drugs, those groups tend to get hit harder with substance use too, right? Mm-hmm. So nicotine kind of just falls under that. And so it's sort of all kind of the same, would you say the same group in that sense? Well, I, I want to say something again about that New York Times article that it, it was it was annoying in so many ways because, you know, you go around the Lower East Side or Greenwich Village and you ask a bunch of 20 somethings who are smoking their opinions. Don't don't take that and, and run with it. You know, I just hope they don't try to create another drug hysteria around mm-hmm. what a bunch of 20 somethings say about smoking, because we know that people in their 20s. The way they use nicotine or whatever their other drugs of choice, in 10 years, the vast majority will not use drugs in the same way. People mature Mm, out of drug use. It's just part of being human. What you did when you were 21 is not what you're doing when you're 41 for most people. And so it was really interesting to me. The part that I thought just, just really hit me, you know, having lived through the the panics uh, around vaping is when one of the one of the women said it's 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 not cool to have a usb in your mouth <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago when it was really fucking cool to have a usb in your mouth whether it was jewel <laughs> or another one right and so this yeah. is what we say all the time those of us who are who think about drugs write about it there are drug trends and they come and they go. And so the jewel trend was one that I wanted to stay because that was helping also to create a vaping culture. Like what you were saying, Kristen, definitely. Uh, In New York, we used to have vaping bars and they were great. People could go, there's all these different flavors you could choose, you could mix and match. People could hang out just like bars were alcohol or Starbucks or what have you. So, so the, the, these trends, they come and they go and we knew it. We called it. We said, you know, you look at that data and the rate of young people using vaping has gone up because it's cool. It's fun. Um, they can rebel. 
um, and they want the benefits. Let's never forget about that. Young people are tremendously stressed uh, in so many ways in school to perform, to get good grades, to be perfect. Uh, with the pandemic, we don't even have to go there in terms of, so they're turning to nicotine, some of them for very, to meet real needs of energy concentration focus, right? Uh, but mm -hmm. it's a trend, it went up and then we saw, and we knew that, but unfortunately our opponents took advantage of when it was going up and used it to ram through flavor bans and all kinds of other legislation that just made it more difficult for adults uh, to get these products. And now we're in a situation where vape shops are closing because of the PM, PMTA process, et cetera. But just there are, and there will be more trends. We don't know what they will be, but that's how it works with drugs, especially under prohibition. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. So frustrating. <laughs> you just listen to me talking about because we knew it was a trend. We knew that these kids mm -hmm. weren't becoming daily users. We knew a lot of these kids would have otherwise been smoking. They were already high risk. Mm -hmm. And they just denied, denied, denied and said, nope, this is an epidemic. And mm -hmm. and that that whole narrative was just so infuriating. You know, it still is because they still keep flavor. Adults don't want flavors. These are these are clearly targeting kids. They're always mm -hmm. every single uh, thing that Alex read on flavor bands today, this, you know, earlier in the show that were coming up, they all justify it or try to justify it by saying, you know, these flavors are clearly just for targeting kids, you know, that clearly, clearly, you know, and completely. And they never, they never listened to us. They never listened right. to, and that there was an, there was a, a tweet I saw, I think it was for Colorado is about to, they're trying to do a flavor ban too. And this guy, uh, one of the, um, he works from one of the, the news outlets in Colorado. And he said, okay, this is really going to get to be a debate between all the anti-tobacco people on, you know, all this big money lobbying between the anti-tobacco people on one side and the um, tobacco companies lobbying for flavors on the other side. And I wanted to tweet back at him. I didn't have time, but I, I just thought you're missing a whole third side here. And that's the consumers mm -hmm. who use these products who should be a part of this debate. Mm -hmm. You know, we should have a voice. And and it's so frustrating that we don't have a voice in this, that they just completely skate over people who want to use nicotine <laughs> in a safer way that's mm -hmm. pleasant and affordable and easily accessible. And we're never in, in the conversation and I thought mm -hmm. it was really interesting, the article you wrote about women in tobacco harm reduction and how we tend to not have a real strong voice, even though I feel in my experience, we're kind of behind the scenes a lot, you know, like with Casa, mm -hmm. um, there's always been behind every, you know, guy in the front on the camera or in, you know, writing, being interviewed for the articles, who was the president or whatever, there was always a bunch of us women in the back getting all the minutiae done, <laughs> you know, or, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. you know, egging them on and, and go on, you can do this, you can do this. And, and I think your article really struck me. And I, I contacted you immediately after I saw your tweet about that and mm -hmm. said, how do I get involved in this? Because <laughs> I think it's great. And I was wondering what, what caused that? And I'm going to share the article here in the chat. What caused that impetus of, or that, you know, what was the impetus of, okay, women need a voice and what made you 
I know the COP thing was was part of it, but what what brought that about about wanting to to form a women in harm reduction thing? What do you think that that we could do where we make a difference that hasn't happened up until <clears throat> this point? Um, well, like I said, I've been I've been in this work for maybe about six years now, and I don't I don't see gender parity on on any level. Um, I don't know if it's gotten worse or if it's just always been this way, but I just, I didn't see it getting better. And, you know, that bothers me. It's like, you know, having that gender parity, hearing uh, the voices of women and, you know, because I work in different um, areas, I'm a, I'm a journalist, I'm a filmmaker, I really notice it. I, I notice it when you read articles and you see who's quoted and there are no women THR experts quoted in articles. There'll be three or four, five, six, seven people interviewed and there'll be no women. Um, that's a problem. And it's easily solvable because there are women all over the world um, who can give a journalist a, a quote. Uh, it's something we pay attention to at Filter. You know, we want our writers to reach out to different groups of people. Um, you know, we want to hear what different people have to say, not the same old people. Not that there's anything wrong with what they're saying, but we want to just widen it out. When I look at um, who has podcasts and YouTube channels, I don't see hardly any women. And I don't I don't understand why I'm not pointing fingers at anybody or trying to call out or cancel anybody, uh, but it has to change. I don't understand why. I mean, it, it doesn't take much to put up a, a podcast or, I mean, you have to invest in some stuff, right? But why is that? Why don't we see that? When, uh, you know, there's been two feature documentaries made about uh, the war on nicotine and vaping and tobacco. Um, and both of them were made by Aaron Bieber. And both of them almost overwhelmingly feature men. Mm -hmm. Just one male talking head after another. Uh, you don't know nicotine. There's a few more women in that. And by the way, I was a backer. I was a Kickstarter backer of that film because I wanted Aaron to get the money to make it. It's really important. But when I got the poster, for uh, the film when it was coming out, it was a gorgeous poster. And there were the names of 11 men on it who were featured in the film, not one woman. Yeah. Well, I have a problem with that, Aaron. So I just contacted him and I was like, you know, come on, Aaron, you know, what's up? I, I know that you interviewed women for You Don't Know Nicotine. Why aren't their names on? So sometimes it's just pointing out, you know, like I don't, I, I know he didn't go like, we can only have 11 men on the poster or he didn't make the poster, but somebody else did, you know, they're not thinking that like, we've got to keep the women out. Um, but if you don't have it front and center, when you're doing this work, it can just be forgotten. And so uh, I wanted to just put out the word to women who do this work to form some kind of an organization or a coalition. Um, because of course the other areas when there's conferences, so who's speaking on the panels Right, the Mantle, um, Mantle USA, Gender Avengers, you know, they look at this and it's important. And they point out, and, and sometimes the organizers were saying, will say, you're right, we don't have any women and we're trying or whatever. And I believe that. 
right? Um, but we have to point it out and we can all do better. And so I saw in THR, it wasn't getting any better in terms of gender parity. So I just wanted to organize a group of women, whether it's, it's still in the initial stages, whether it's an organization, an ad hoc group, but you know, pointing out when the women's voices are absent. I mean, it's 2022, come on. <laughs> Here to ask you, uh, which I think you just answered really excellently, was how can we raise up women's voices, more LGBTQ plus voices mm -hmm. and more non-white cishet male voices uh, just across the board? Because like you said, I mean, just in this space period, it's really white, predominantly white male dominated. Yeah. And I would I would I want to know what we can all do really to whether it's encouragement or just general mm -hmm. support like you starting these groups what can we all do collectively to raise these voices up and have it not just be this white male cis heterosexual space because i mean i'm that's me i'm i'm a white heterosexual uh <laughs> privileged male what can I do better to elevate all of these voices or encourage these voices and make it, is it, is it to make it less intimidating of a space um, or, or, you know, what can we do? What can we do in your opinion? Well, I don't, I don't, I would imagine Kassa looks at this and says, we want, you know, to have as much, you know, gender equity as we can in terms of, who's hosting, who's coming on the show. I mean, affirmative action. I mean, making that central to what you do. And I know sometimes you can't do it. I mean, you reach out to a number of women and they can't do the show or they can't be on the conference. I, I know that can happen sometimes. So I'm not saying every single one and, you know, just cancel the whole conference, you know. Um, but just having that front and center and everything, if you're launching a new initiative at, or if you're doing some legislative work in whatever state, Wyoming, um, and you want a bunch of people to, to testify against a bill, you want to make sure you've got women in the mix, that it's not just a bunch of men who are standing up there, that you actually have women who are part of that. So whatever you do, looking at that, and again, this isn't about per perfection and it has to be 50-50 every time. Um, but if you don't pay attention to it, it doesn't, it doesn't get fixed. I can tell you that. You don't pay attention to it. Yeah. I, I think I it's really say, interesting. I'll go ahead, Alex. You haven't talked well, I just, a lot. I just, I just <laughs> wanted to add, I'm, I'm in the process of updating our guide star listing and uh, new, I think it's new this year. Uh, to get the gold level, you <clears throat> have to include your DEI information, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and so looking at the makeup of our board, uh, unfortunately, we are all white people. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it's I, I, I think our board that wasn't makeup, the case, though. <laughs> our, our board makeup is a little bit closer to uh, usage rates between men and women. So we're, we're mm -hmm. not there's nine board members, so it's not a 50-50 split, but there's one more male board member than female board member. And I believe that's actually a little bit higher than the national average in terms of how uh, people who smoke skew uh, in, in terms of male and female. Um, mm -hmm. So 
that's a good thing. I will say my introduction to CASA and all of this stuff was largely through the efforts of women. Uh, it was Julie Wessner that brought me to the board. Yes. Julie Wessner has been a force of nature in this space uh, in, in speaking for consumers and in guiding the rest of us. Mm -hmm. um, she's made me a better writer, a better speaker, all around, I'd say, a better person. Still got a long way to go. Um, but <laughs> um, And, and I've, I've, I've always seen women in leadership positions in the vaping space in, in THR, people were mentioning Amanda Wheeler, uh, Cynthia Cabrera was the head of the, the, the trade association for a while. Um, and and I, I always thought that was remarkable and I was happy to see it. Uh, and I felt like that that spoke volumes of, mm -hmm. you know, not just the fact that this is for everyone, but it, it's, it really is sort of the grassroots origins of all the stuff that we're doing. Uh, and, and I, to me, I, it, it felt like the, the female influence, at least from the advocacy side of, of things, mm -hmm. it doesn't doesn't translate to the industry necessarily. But um, I, I always felt like that was a, that was a positive, at least for what we were doing. So mm -hmm. my, my two cents there. <laughs> and it's not just in the world of tobacco harm reduction. I mean, every every I mean, you look at the cannabis space. I mean, they're struggling in the same way to have more women voices represented, whether it's they're doing the advocacy or they own the stores. Uh, so, you know, they're paying attention to women, people of color, people who have been most affected by the war on marijuana, making sure that they are part of this new industry, uh, making the decisions about how to roll out, you know, recreational marijuana in that, in that state. And I think other uh, areas we're in a we're in a different time now with Me Too, Black Lives Matter, and then the movement around around people who use drugs. Right, nothing about us without us. You're not going to be passing these policies if you don't talk to people who use fentanyl or use meth or use whatever the drug is. Our voices, whether it's in advocacy or research, we want and we will be part of that. So. Tobacco harm reduction, it's not siloed out. All, every organization is, is grappling with how to have real uh, representation. Uh, and it's been a long time coming, and it's going to take a while, but there has to be a focus on that. You can't just write something up and like, here we go, and we're, we're good to go. Um, it has to be thought out how you're going to do that. And, and sometimes you just have to call on people to say, come on, there's no women on this panel. And having a woman moderate doesn't, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It often seems though that when we're talking women, I mean, I've got a few points. My brain's just reeling right now with all these things I want to spew out. <laughs> what, 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 first of all, one of them being, it, it's hard because it was something I touched on before with the LGBTQ, uh, which we do have members on our board, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, black people, indigenous peoples. They're not big vapors. They're not big snooze users. You know, because we do all different um, harm reduction products. So mm -hmm. that gives us a much smaller pool of those groups mm -hmm. and women too. Women were a much like like um, uh, Mark just said probably about in the early days of 15% of his customers were women. Um, mm -hmm. And I noticed that it's, it's kind of weird because with people involved in CASA and, and, 
in the early days, it was such a force of women with Julie and Yolanda and Teresa and Elaine. And mm. um, it was a bunch of, you know, myself, mm -hmm. you know, we were, we were pushing it. So we were, it was, it's kind of maybe off from what the actual percentages of the makeup of the market is for, for vaping. Um, because my husband started vaping the same time I did, and I'm the one who got us started with it and got into advocacy. <laughs> so it's kind of, mm -hmm. but I had more time for that too. But so that was the thing is that, so that was one of my first things to say was, okay, these folks and all those people that we listed, the, the you know, like, like pregnant women and, and who, you know, people who really need to quit and who, who you, you know, use tobacco products more, we need to get them converted to vaping or harm reduction first before we can even get them into the tobacco harm reduction mm -hmm. sphere. Um, and, and like I said, cause we did have a black guy on our, our first, our earliest board. Um, and he just kind of lost mm -hmm. interest. But again, that's another thing is, you know, we're watching, we look, we want to see, you know, people who use snooze, people from different ethnic backgrounds, mm -hmm. you know, we, we want that diversity on our board, but trying to find, and then we'll find somebody who will be like, Oh my God, they'd be awesome. Let's get them on our board. And we get them interested and they just don't have the time for it because <laughs> yeah, most of it's volunteer. Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyhow, now that I had that say really quick, what, what do you think that as a woman, we bring to the conversation and to the tale that's different from all these cisgendered white guys <laughs> what do you think that that we can bring do you think <laughs> that we should be included more I guess is what I'm trying to say what is your <clears throat> feeling on that well what are the what are the specific challenges that women face uh right so we know that women who use drugs are judged much more harshly uh than men mm, are okay. um so bringing that, you know, what is, what is that about? And kind of unpacking that, um, oh, pregnant women who smoke are some of the most vilified, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, forget about it. I mean, the hostility, the hatred, uh, and so talking about those, uh, experiences, okay. Um, uh, you know, making, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I'm exactly answering that. I don't know if I have a real answer. To, to that, but obviously women experience, women, being a woman in this world is very different in, in some ways than being a man. Mm -hmm. um, you know. yeah, I didn't realize the stigma thing. That's interesting. And I never really thought about it, but now that I think about yeah. it, I was a closet smoker. You know, I mean, I yeah. was very embarrassed about smoking. I didn't want people to judge me in that sense. Whereas my husband was just kind of like, eh, whatever. And yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's a good viewpoint, especially probably if you have kids, because I always felt judged when I, because I had kids, I never smoked during my pregnancies. And I, um, mm -hmm. I always was outside. I didn't smoke around them, you know, so I felt very conscientious of that, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm sure people were judging me. And I'm sure that that was one thing, like probably why I was a closet smoker, mm -hmm. which again, probably would make you do it for a longer time. If you feel like you can't come out that stigmatizing mm -hmm. effect. Yeah. I suppose that's plus a lot of us, mm -hmm. you know, our women, our parents, and you know, my kids, in spite of the fact that I am a THR advocate, all of them, not all of them, the youngest one hasn't, thank goodness, but they all started smoking at some point. Now they almost all vape now too. Mm -hmm, my my mm -hmm. stepdaughter, she still smokes, but I didn't raise her. So, <laughs> but my kids know if they come to my house with a cigarette. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
you know, what are the challenges for women when they try to transition to a safer nicotine product? What are the challenges for them? I mean, we know that we know that sexism is structural, right? And so how do you address those structural drivers of oppression? So then is it more difficult for women to transition? If, and if so, why? If it's not, why not? Um, do when they do research, do they make sure we know a lot of research, they don't, they don't include women for right. various reasons. Research around uh, nicotine use and these, pro- are they uh, making sure they recruit women? Uh, we know that some vape shops are not uh, very welcoming to women. They're, uh, I, I remember they're before it, it's, I think it's closed now. It was Dragon Vapes in Chinatown. And it was just full of men blowing clouds. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think women would feel comfortable in there. You know, I'm glad the guys had a place to go, but can you make room, you know, yeah. for, for some women? So having spaces that are, are comfortable for women. And so talking, you know, putting that, that front and center, I, I think is important. Yeah, this is uh, that conversation yeah. that right before the show, Kristen and I were actually yeah. having is that all too many vape shops really just feel like man caves, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, you know, again, just as a man looking at it um, and, and and trying to, to to put myself in a woman's shoes, it's either intimidating or you just don't want to be there. You don't feel welcomed. You don't feel safe in that space, whatever, what, for whatever reasons there. Um, and yeah, you know, how can we how can we better address that? How can we get more women in these roles and these entrepreneurial roles mm-hmm. um, and things like that? Similar to, you know, the cannabis space where, where we want uh, people of color in those people who've been most affected by that, you know, the prohibition of cannabis in those spaces, in that business space. Um, and can we do that with, with women and, and people of color in, in vape shops as well uh, to mm-hmm. make that space more welcome as opposed to, again, just another white male dominated cloud comp in every vape shop mm-hmm. that you walk into. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the other thing is, is product development. And I mean, cause mm-hmm. if you think about it, a lot of researchers would just go into a vape shop and be like, okay, what are people using there? But the people were all just guys, mm-hmm. you know, so they had big mods and they were trying to make right. big clouds or, or whatnot. And for myself, I always wanted something discreet that fit in my hand that wasn't this big thing that I felt like I was holding the soda can, you know, I mean, and, and yeah, they, they can't really, without hearing from women, they can't, it was, seems like by guys, four guys. And that was pretty much women. They just had to deal with what they were given. And then some of the, some of the things that came up were, you know, some of the names they put, some of the advertising where, you know, I don't want to be walking around with a bottle of e-liquid with a naked woman on it with, derogatory mm-hmm. terms about women mm-hmm. on it, which I have mm-hmm. seen, you know, and yeah, that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. a good point. That's as I'm talking to you, I'm learning how women should have a voice. <laughs> so yeah, because we want I, them to quit too, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I keep trying to wedge myself in because I think you, you brought something up, Kristen, that uh, it, it is the, the, the product development side of things. And mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me now, my I'm doing the same thing. I've got a bunch of stuff running through my head that I wanted to bring up. But, um, you know, uh, Sweden is a really good example of, uh, you know, a place where these reduced risk products are available and the men who smoke are adopting snus. But women in Sweden don't really find it palatable. And 
and, and of course, uh, it, it, the products have not up until I would say recently been tailored to women's preferences or needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Bink Binkt Weiberg, uh, who is from Sweden, uh, has the patent on um, uh, the, the sting free snooze. And he was inspired, of course, to develop this product because of his wife, who I believe smokes or <laughs> excuse me, or smoked and was unable to transition to snooze because she didn't like it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, this is also in line with meeting people where they're at and women are half the population. So it, it's I think it's very important for manufacturers to design products that do include women's preferences and, and needs. But I, I see that sort of hang up there. You know, Kristen described a product that appeals to her as a woman, uh, but that has been maligned in the media as a product that is designed to hook the kids, Um, which sort of all brings me around to a question for someone who is a journalist. Um, How do we punch through this horrible, dishonest narrative uh, in in order to encourage manufacturers to tailor products to women? Uh, or are we just are we just up against big money here, or or is there something that that we can do as advocates to 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 counteract this this narrative on the cheap? Um, I, I I don't know if I've fully formed the question there, but I figured I'd I'd ask somebody who who is in journalism. Well, uh, I don't have a I don't have a perfect answer for that. Uh, Except I know with with time, things change and I've seen it with other drugs. And, you know, the media is a key player, right, in whipping up the, you know, people like Stanton Glance and Truth Initiative and PAVE, they need the megaphone of the media um, they work hand in hand to create the drug panics and they're, they're succeeding. But at a certain point, it's not going to work anymore. And then the coverage starts to change. And I watched this with the drug war, with mass incarceration. And I think one of the things that this is what we try to do at Filter, I think Vice does it, there's some other publications and we include, and this was this is a key driver for the change in cannabis policy and psychedelics all, to a certain extent. And that is a social justice aspect that we almost always talk about that, that who's left smoking? What are the groups that are left smoking? And, uh, and I think that at some point, the media is going to shift. They're going to turn. And again, I've seen it. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but they will do the mea culpas. The editorial boards will come out and say, uh, there was no epidemic of juuling. And, and, you know, New York Times says this time capsule. They go back and look. And I don't know if some of you remember the crack attack mm. in the United States, the absolute hysteria around crack cocaine and what that led to the draconian mandatory minimums. And now these major corporate newsrooms, they have said we were wrong. They've kind of apologized. They need to do a lot more, make reparations and real apologies to the people that have been in prison for decades, right? 
I think the same thing is going to happen. I think at some point they're going to say, well, they'll never say we were wrong because they don't like to do that. They'll find a way to spin it and then say, nicotine actually does have medicinal benefits. And we've been saying this all along. And we've been saying <laughs> it for years. They will say no, it. No, they the, will media, the media will claim that they've been saying it all along and then say and hope that we all just forgot that they were saying the exact opposite earlier. <laughs> yeah, they'll say, oh, it, it turns out that these actually exactly. do have benefits. Who knew? You Who know, knew? they'll, they'll play like they're, they're coming across this big discovery themselves and they need to put it out. Yeah, you're right. It, it's never an actual formal apology. Right. Um, but it is it can. Uh, you know, shift the tide of public perception. Right. And I think with that, you know, getting back to Alex's, uh, how, how do we tailor things more to women and other groups? Once we, once we break through those, those, those negative narratives and we, we can see the population as a whole embrace these products more, um, I think in turn, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, that leads to manufacturers uh, catering to more diverse groups um, and, and you know, kind of spreading that out across the board as opposed to everything is black and stainless, you know, and I think mm-hmm. at least in hardware, uh, for a long time, the industry's solution to that was like, oh, make a rainbow product, you know, like make that Which same thing. Which is what I rainbow. have. Now, now we've, yeah, now, now we've met everyone's <laughs> needs, you know, um, and that's just not the case. But we, we definitely need to break out of that. This is designed for kids because when we start making mods and tanks and devices and things in, you know, shiny pinks and purples and all these different colors and things that will appeal to adults of all varieties, they will continue to make the claim that it's only for kids. And I think that 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 right there is kind of that wall we need to break through first and then hopefully all the dominoes fall into place mm-hmm. following that. The thing I'm worried about, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, the other thing I I would just add is it really helps to get out of this country and go to a country that doesn't uh, do things the way that the United States does. And I was recently, uh, I was in Italy last month and I was in um, Catania and, you know, ICOS is huge in Italy and talk about really trying to get this product into the hands of people. So you know, they've got the really glitzy ICO stores. You go in and somebody waits on you and they're in really nice parts of the city. But then they also have 24-hour uh, cigarette machines. And I posted a couple photos on Twitter, actually. And they're all over the city. And it's great. So th- this is a machine where you can buy cigarettes and you can buy the heats for ICOs. And it was such a revelation to, to just see this. It wasn't the first time, but every time I see it, I'm just blown away. So it helps to get out of this country and go to a place like Italy, if you can, or England, of course, they're miles ahead of us. They have vape shops in mental health hospitals, right? You just go down to the first floor and get your vapes. And I, I think, and then, so for us to keep us going in the fight, to know that in other places, New Zealand as well is doing better than us. But also as a journalist and a filmmaker, and I know other journalists feel, we want to talk about those examples to say, they look how they're doing it. And those examples resonate with people. Just taking you back from it to the other world of drugs, 
you know, we've been saying that about overdose prevention sites. They've had them in Canada for 20 years. They've had them in Europe. They save lives. Nobody dies in an overdose. We finally got one here in New York, but we had to hit hard on that for a really long time. So that's another way I feel we can win people. And in terms of the manufacturing, you know, how, how are they doing it in other countries that, uh, you know, are they appealing their, are there, are their products appealing to women or other mi minority groups or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's interesting that they have ICOs, that they have ICOs and vending machines in other parts of the world. And here we can't even get ICOs anymore. So right. <laughs> it's yeah. been banned essentially. Um, I think mm -hmm. the thing that I want to ask though, and lastly, I know we're getting, we're at an hour here, um, is okay. So if we get more women and my, more minorities and, um, alternate, uh, alternative peoples that are white male, I don't know, I'm trying to think of whatever groups there are, um, we get more of them involved. How do we get a voice, especially as consumer advocates, we struggle really hard to get anybody to call Alex or call me or Julie or anybody else in, you know, I'd be happy to talk to somebody if they want to get a quote, you know, if they don't want, if they want to talk to a woman and not a man, obviously I'm going to say call Alex, but, <laughs> but I'm just saying that how do we get in the media? You know, we've tried doing, um, you know, press releases and just interacting with people on Twitter and stuff like that. And it's really hard that, okay, we've got the people here who want to be a voice, but we have no, we need a megaphone. We have no, I mean, it's been great because like Filter and some other groups have been much more in talking mm. to people from in our circles, although I wish they'd talk to Kassab more, but um, you know, how do, how do we get more of that coverage, especially, you know, the main meet, the major media, it's, it's like impossible. They only seem to want to talk to, like you said about that New York mm -hmm. article, you know, it was, it was all anti people and anti tobacco people. And one guy who said, yeah, vaping's not bad. <laughs> you know, do you have yeah, any I tips? Just, I think you have to keep, you have to continually contact the mainstream media. You have to send them press releases. You have to say, we have these people who are uh, available to comment. Uh, when they write articles and they don't, they need to be called out for that. You know, you didn't include the voices of people who vape in this article. Um, you have to keep on them. Okay. And, and eventually somebody will, I mean, I feel like it is a little bit better. Actually. It's better. From it's when I started, it's much, yeah. It's I mean, let's better. not, I I want to really shout out Kassab because your organization has grown, your reach, uh, the thousands of stories you have up on your website. I mean, that that is a, a shot through the heart of these uh, anti-vaping folks. I mean, it is a resource that I send people to all the time. Uh the the work that Amanda Wheeler is doing on Twitter. Uh, so let's not underestimate what we've been able to accomplish. I mean, the fact that we we got, I can't take any credit for it, it's other folks, got the the vaping tax taken out of the bill back better. Mm -hmm. That's huge. I mean, how did you do that? Right. You, you, you made a stink. Yeah, you, a you, lot you of help. <laughs> I, I would say I 
I think there's going to be a point where we have to take the struggle to another level. And I'm reminded of what ACT UP did. They basically uh, took over the FDA. They mm -hmm. went inside and shut it down. And I'm not opposed to doing that because I feel these government bureaucracies don't listen to us. Like they didn't listen to AIDS activists. We're dying. Well, guess what? Smokers are dying and you're blocking our ability to keep people alive. And I want to get in their faces and say that. So taking it to the next level of activism, I think we need to think about how to do that because we can write letters, we can yell on the phone, we can text Twitter. That's great that can bring some change, but there is also a place for civil disobedience to right. taking it to the next level. And that's how women got their rights. That's how people of color got their rights. That's how people dying of AIDS got drugs fast-tracked at the FDA and said nothing about us without us. And the research being done around vaping, the same thing. Vapors need to be part and parcel of that. So taking it, I think we have to, there's going to come a point and it has to be thought out strategically where we make their lives miserable by getting in their faces because sometimes that's all they respond to, right? We've right. got silence, we've got data and they go like this. Yeah. Yeah. Not all. I just ignore it. But well, if, so you start, if you saw our it. intro, if you watch our intro, you'll see Alex is at the Washington DC rally, which mm -hmm. got quite a few people to that. And that's probably the closest yeah. we've come to doing something like that. But it has been hard to get, I don't know if it's just because with smoking, you know, like even with, you know, with, with AIDS, with um, some other things, people were like dying right then. Right. And do you know what I mean? And so or felt like right then, whereas with smoking, it seems to be it's in this, some possible distant future thing. So it's really hard. It seems like it's really hard to get people passionate about this issue, even inside it, getting them to show up to testify at hearings and things like that. And yeah, it's, it, I, I'm totally with you on having to do that. But I think one of the fears is we organize something and nobody shows up or only a few people show up. And then if the news is there, and it looks like, well, see, nobody really cares about this issue. You've got 10 people vaping outside the courthouse or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that keeps people from wanting to try to do stuff like this sometimes. I don't but know. Keep, I don't know keep how in mind the, the formidable obstacles against um, gay people in, mm -hmm. in, in ACT UP, right? A yeah. group of people hated, stigmatized, yeah. politicians saying, you know, AIDS is, is um, a punishment from God. Right. Right. There weren't, I mean, in the 80s, in the 90s, the oh, level of homophobia, okay. hatred, killing of uh, people who are, are gay, lesbian, trans, right? right? was phenomenal. And then AIDS hits. And it's like, there was a sense, they don't care if we die. Now, I know trans people- That's what we feel like, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't care. But don't care maybe, maybe we need to increase that level of- People are dying for over almost 500,000 people a year. Like maybe we need to take that up a notch in terms of, again, it's not going to be a one-to-one -one transfer what ACT UP did and what right. a vaping movement can do. But there definitely are similarities, I feel, just in terms of how smokers are stigmatized. 
And at least in the United States, we have a situation of who are the groups that are smoking at the highest rates? The people right. who are most oppressed, mm -hmm. yep. people who use drugs, people with mental health problems, low income, people of color, indigenous, LGBTQ, right? Mm -hmm. How do we organize something like that? I don't have all the answers, but it's, right. it's, it's can be instructive to look at how other groups have done it. What can we take from them? What would we not want to take from them in terms right. of strategy? But, but sitting down in the FDA, I just love the idea of that. That is a, <laughs> that is a, a, what, what do you call it? A, a, a group of people who are so Jurassic, who are so ossified, who have no clue, uh, what to do around vaping. I mean, if they've got some people who know they're, they're not coming forward, you know, Mitch Zeller has got to go, you know, he's a throwback to the, the, the nicotine wars. Right. And I want to get in their faces because of this whole PMTA process. And it always seems to come back to the businesses. And then that's the thing that's so frustrating for us as consumers is it's either you know, anti-tobacco or business. And nobody talks about the consumers. You know, you, when a law is coming up, you know, local news, national news, whatever, they go talk to a guy in a vape shop. You know, they don't talk to any consumers. They don't talk to mm -hmm. advocacy groups. They go talk to a guy in a vape shop, which often has a weird idea about things himself. You know, it's some guy behind the counter and he's like, yeah, Jules sucks. It's all their fault and they should just shut it down and let mm -hmm. vape shops do whatever they want. You know, and, or they do whatever they can to make us look, you know, make vapors or people who sell vapor products look look bad you know and it, it's so frustrating that we don't even get it you know everything comes down to what the businesses are doing and it's hard to get looked at as far as have them look at the consumer aspect of it because we're just pathetic addicts getting taken advantage of by right. big tobacco and again I'll, I'll i'll give you the example of because of the massive opioid overdose crisis in our country for a long time, they never talked to people who were using. They always talked to the so-called experts, and a lot of them were men. Um, right. That whole dynamic has changed, let me tell you. Hmm. They, almost every article now I read about the opioid overdose crisis and fentanyl, they're talking to people who have overdosed and survived. They're, they're talking to the people who are the most affected. That's a, a sea change, and that took a that took a fight, yeah, to, to recognize, and it, and it will uh, in terms of vaping. I think to talk to the people who actually are using these products, whose lives have been dramatically improved. But mm -hmm. it happened in another area of drugs. It can happen, I think, in vaping. And we've started to kind of clamp onto the whole "nothing about us without us" thing mm -hmm. because we're feeling that so clearly of that everything's happening around us and nobody's talking to us. Nobody's asking mm -hmm. us, do we want flavors? Nobody's asking us, do we right. want higher nicotine? Nobody's asking us, will we go back to smoking if you make these just as expensive and taste like crap as cigarettes? You know, nobody's asking mm -hmm. us that. Not the researchers, not the lawmakers, not even in a lot of cases, the advocates, you know, right. the, the harm reduction advocates for other sources. Do they even yep. talk to us? You know? I, I, I will add to your last point. I know, Helen, we're keeping you a little longer than you'd expected. But uh, for all of my cr criticism of the, the hearing in Washington state, um, Amanda Wheeler brought up a really good point during the hearing. And it was the research that we've seen from other cities and perhaps states where flavor bans or, or 
in the case of Massachusetts, just banning the products altogether have led to people going back to smoking. And there was a lawmaker who, in a very rare case, actually asked her a question and she was able to follow up with, I will send you the study on this. Um, so I, I, I think in some places, those messages are getting through. It, it Maybe it depends on the messenger. Amanda is right, a very right. good messenger. Um, but uh, maybe maybe we're starting to see some of the cracks uh, in, in their bias. Mm -hmm. And I know this is going to sound sexist, but people tend to see women as more trustworthy hey. when they're doing speaking like that. I've seen studies on that, like with nurses and stuff like mm -hmm. that. For some reason, it's got this that if you're up there compared to a white guy in a suit who's got to be big tobacco, here's a woman, she's probably mom. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not fair. I'm not saying it's that she, it's right. I'm just saying, but maybe mm -hmm. getting more women up there to speak like Amanda's and things like that might, that who are consumers and not just business might help make a difference and swing some of these. Cause that, that immediate distrust of business. That's something that Matt was saying on the show he was on on Reg Watch earlier is that if you get out there and start arguing for your business, they don't want to hear it because they think you're just peddling poison to kids. So they don't mm -hmm. they don't care. You know, um, that's why we always try to say we need more consumers to show up for these things. To, it's interesting you know, that you say that because I was I was I've been thinking about when I've been thinking about women in tobacco harm reduction and making sure we have gender parity, I'm looking at the other side and does uh, the, the vape haters, the tobacco control folks, do they front load the voices of women? So I look at PAVE. Yeah. PAVE is all women. They're, that's the leadership. Uh, Robin Koval. Um, but then there's your Mitch, Mitch Mayer and other, but it seems Wilbur. like they have a lot of women who are leader, they're in leadership positions in the tobacco control community and even the public health uh, community. Right. It seems that, I don't know, I don't, I don't quote me on it, but just a cursory look, it seems like the people we're facing off against, there's a lot of women in leadership positions. And maybe it's partly because of what you just said, Kristen, they have a, you know, preconceived stereotype. Exactly. You know, <laughs> women take care of everybody. So we're not threatening, not threatening. <laughs> and um, we're not the CEOs of big tobacco companies. They're all white men, you know? Um, yeah. So it, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. Something to think about for sure. So, okay. Well, we're like way over an hour. Well, not way over, no but way. we went a little bit over, so we promised we'd get you out of here. But okay. I told you we would have nothing, not have to worry about talking about stuff. I told I you. Wanna, I want to make a couple, <laughs> a couple of recommendations. Oh, okay. Um, for shows, is that okay? Sure. Yeah. I think that we really need to talk about um, the book about Jewel. Um, oh which yeah. One? There's yeah, two. there's two. Yeah, there's a few of them now. There's um, there's two um. Is it Jamie Ducharme, Jamie, Ducharme, Jamie Ducharme's book, The Big Vape? Yeah, that one. And um, where is it? I wrote it down, I thought. Um, it's the one about <clears throat> big tobacco, um, the, devil's, the Devil's Playbook. Yeah, here you go. Um, big tobacco, jewel, and the addiction of a, it's a horrible, horrible title. But I have to say, the woman who wrote it, these books are both by women, which I thought was interesting. Uh, 
her the the book the devil's playbook is remarkable i disagree with so much of it but <laughs> she really goes through some really important arguments that we need to understand uh, that so that's your enemy i would love to talk about that book with you and then the other one is there is a documentary it was made into uh 2004 um maybe you know about it. it's called bright leaves Maybe that's the one I've been looking for. I, it was it a PBS documentary? I don't know if it was on PBS. Um, I wrote it down, and now I can't. I can't read my own writing. Oh, I know why. Because I threw it. Okay. I, in my <laughs> exasperation, I was saying this is what they throw the science out. Um, you know, it's really good for ADHD, nicotine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm seeing myself and my kids in you right now. <laughs> it's called Bright Leaves, and it's about John Harvey McElwee and his, and he was a huge tobacco grower. And the documentary is about growing tobacco and do people who grow it, do they feel bad because it's a product mm. that is used to create combustible cigarettes then kill essentially half of its users. So it's, it's kind of excavating that whole question, which I have no answer to, but I'm really fascinated by tobacco growing and they know what the product is used for. Of course, if we had a sane nicotine policy, we would be using all the nicotine in that tobacco to create safer nicotine products, right? Uh, so that looks really good. And the family, uh, a number of them became doctors, but I think it's something I'm interested in. I don't know if you all are, but the growing of tobacco and, and, and that whole economy, right? The New York Times recently had a good article about who harvests the tobacco. And it's a lot of uh, immigrants um, from Central America. So it's just something I'm throwing out there to you. If somebody yeah. could be a guest who knows about that. I think it's a really interesting question. And then it also relates to syn synthetic nicotine. Are we moving to a world where there's going to be synthetic nicotine? And then what happens to all the folks who grow tobacco all around the world? Right. Sure. I mean, yeah. you look at, you know, uh, um, poppy farmers and things like that in the world of, of heroin moving into synthetics and, and fentanyl right. and things like this. Um, you know what happens to all those farmers and for most of those people that's their livelihood that's and that's all that's available in some some areas um especially in like uh like cocoa uh cocoa coca production for some people that's that's all there is available exactly. uh, that those are the only jobs that are available um so what happens to those folks and the, their livelihoods right uh, as well so yeah i think that's definitely a very interesting definitely a very interesting topic something we hadn't um brought up before mm -hmm. uh you know we in our kind of brainstorming deep dive topic group here uh that we hadn't we hadn't really thought of so thank you i love uh, it for that it, absolutely that is definitely going in the notes definitely yeah. going in the notes i guess i'm gonna have to break down and read that devil's playbook devil's playbook it is i've been avoiding it, it. I, it's an I, incredible I reporting uh, the, the reporting is just she's in the room she's she's in the room with all of them or she found people who were in the room and it's i couldn't put it down i i hated it's one of those it's a it's a hate read but it's a fun read and it's an informative read because yeah. there are people there are journalists who they just cover tobacco 
They know right. a shit ton. The revelations, there's one revelation after another in that book. Yeah. About the tobacco well, industry and how Jewel fits in. And anyway, I'm I'm a fan. Okay, thank uh, you so much. Trust you on that thank one. Thank you, Helen. Thank you for joining us. This is <laughs> thank fantastic. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank okay, you. take care. You too. Bye, Helen. Thank you Vape again. Vape on. Vape on. Yes. Vape on. <laughs> okay. That was awesome. That was fantastic. Wow. Uh, it's such a joy to talk to Helen, and it's been a long time. Um, you know, after uh, after I had, I had spoken to Helen in the past, and I had her on my my previous podcast, we talked to. A lot after that, we talked a lot about uh, indigenous populations and things. Uh, and then COVID hit and, you know, everything kind of fell apart and I hadn't been able to speak to her for a while. So that was that was really that was awesome. I love Helen. She's just a wonderful human being. Uh, and she she really does give a shit about people. And that's I love people that give a shit about people. <laughs> I'm sorry for swearing on the show. Having the opportunity um, to Julie, Julie can scold me later for my my poor language, but. Yeah. No, just the, having the opportunity to pick her brain was just great. I mean, and and then she gives us that bonus of a couple of suggestions for shows. Yeah, God, fantastic. I yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm regretting that now I have to read that damn book, but uh, oh, you own I mean, the book, I have so to you're too. out of excuses here. I, I don't want to give them any the money. <laughs> I, I bought it. I had to. It, to me, it's sort of a collector's item, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, well, it'll be like, archaic and it'll be like mine comp or something someday. <laughs> I have a book over on the shelf that's that's massive. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gone there, but you know what I Hang mean. On. Give me two seconds. Before we go. Not aging well. That's what I meant. <laughs> this, I don't know. It sounds, you know, with Helen's recommendation. This is like one of those collector's good. books for me that I haven't gotten into yet because it's just massive. It's called The Cigarette Century. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. And it's just, book. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a shelf, you know, it's wow. a. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of this is one of the few uh tobacco reads and i have a number what of the heck did that cost you i just haven't gotten into yet because i mean this is a, this is a registered weapon i mean you could Heart you could eat somebody with this book like Please. it's it's uh it's intimidating uh, the end of the index is 600 pages so holy yeah that's a Where'd big you one get that from this yeah oh gosh i don't uh a bookstore you can get yeah. it from the internet. Well, yeah, I know, I mean, but that looks like wherever, where all books are sold. <laughs> but yeah, I get everything a, on Kindle these days. <laughs> that's a hell of a read right there. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you. I think this is where we're going to wrap this up, right? We're I'm, I'm good <laughs> yeah. to do the spiel. Do, do the I, spiel. Philip says giving a shit about people is what you do, Logan. Philip, I do give a shit about people, and uh, I think everybody here does as well, and we will continue to. Uh, but that's going to do it for us this week, everybody. Thank you to everybody who tuned in. Please go ahead and share this all over the place. Uh, the more that we can share um, voices like Helen's and everyone else's, uh, it's just it's just better for all of us. So please, I would encourage everybody to share this widely. Um it's been like a month since I've had to do the spiel and I'm out of practice. Uh, yes, if you have not joined CASA yet, please do. It's absolutely free to join. Become a member. Get in there. If you haven't submitted your testimony uh, to CASA, please do. We still have like 13,000 plus. We're trying to get to 1 billion. So share your story, please. Uh, it's, a, it's a great place to do so. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Skip. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, guys. Um, 
Yes, excellent show. Thank you guys for coming out. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for being here for this excellent discussion. Share it everywhere. Join Casa. Do all the things. There will be two versions of this podcast up on SoundCloud and wherever else you tune into your podcast. One being a shorthand legislative rundown and then the entire episode as well. Those will be available this Monday uh, going forward. And we will be back as far as I'm aware. We don't have any hiccups next week, do we? I don't don't think so. so. Okay, cool. We'll be back next Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 over on that other coast. Everywhere else around the world, you're going to have to figure out your time zones for it. That's it. Go buy merch. Okay, that's my spiel. I'm real bad at this right now. i got to get back and practice the whole spiel. Uh, All right. Bye, everybody. We're We're good.